Well, hello, friends. How we doing? Good. Awesome, awesome. Want to welcome everyone. Uh, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. Whether uh, you came out because your friend has been bugging you and you just want to shut them up, they probably won't stop. But uh, you're here. We want to welcome you. All those that are online, our campuses too. We want to welcome you guys for coming out. Um, today, I get the privilege to start a brand new, I'm calling it a sister series, okay? Uh, because if you were with us the last four weeks, uh, you, you saw we did a series called When God Seems, seems being the operative word. And today, we get to start a new series called When God Is, is being the operative word. And, and this morning, I want to talk to you about when God is beautifully angry, which doesn't sound like it would go, Right? Uh, me and my wife, we lived on the East Coast for about eight years, and it was in Pennsylvania Dutch country. And if you've ever been out there, they have this voice inflection kind of accent where when they talk, they go, how you doing? <laughs> good to meet you, right? And no matter what they said, it was, it's good to see you. So even if they were mad, it was like, I'm so mad at you. And you're like, really? Are you? I don't know if you are or not. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's like, this is, doesn't seem like it's going to go. Beautifully angry. Hopefully by the end of our time, you'll see just how God works this into the narrative of not just his story, but your story too. But I'd like to open up in prayer, if you don't mind, and just take a moment to pause and just invite God to speak to us today. Just position ourselves so that we can hear. Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we... As we turn to you, we know that you're always speaking, God. And sometimes it's just that we're not in the right position to hear. So right now in this space, God, we give you full reign. Speak to us, God. Jacob, in, in the book of Genesis, goes to bed. And in his dream, he sees angels going up and down a ladder, God. And he wakes up and he says, God was here and I didn't even know it. God, may we walk out of here today and say, man, God was here. I didn't even know it. May your presence be the one thing we leave with. Speak to us, God. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, I did a bad thing, um, and I don't know if I should share it with you. Do you guys want to know? Of course you want to know. Everyone wants to know the juicy stuff. Okay, it, it, it was 15 years ago. Uh, I was 25. I was a youth pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was young and dumb, okay? We've all been there before. My wife that year had bought me a birthday present. It was a Wacom pad, okay? Which, for those of you that don't, that don't know, before the iPad, there were these things called Wacom pads that you would plug into your computer, and it had a pen, and you could draw on it, and it would translate over to your computer. And it was great for like, graphic design and designing stuff. Uh, the only problem is my wife bought the smallest Wacom pad there was. So the drawing area was like this big, okay? And so, you know, I tried it. I'm like, this isn't going to work. So I said, babe, I'm going to return this to Best Buy and get a bigger, bigger one if that's okay. She's like, yeah, of course. I always ruin your gifts anyways. <laughs> I was like, no, you really, it was a great gift. So I did what maybe a lot of you did, right? I put it all back in, put the receipt with it, set it on the shelf, and I forget about it <laughs> for a day, a week, two weeks. <clears throat> Finally, my wife goes, hey, aren't you going to exchange that? I was like, oh, yes. So I grab it, the receipt, everything, all the checklist, right? You know the checklist, going to return stuff. I got a receipt, box, manual, all that. I walk into the guest services at Best Buy, and I said, hey, um, I bought this. My wife bought this for me. 
Um, I want to actually not get my money back, but I just want to exchange it and get a bigger one. Okay, so I'll pay the difference, whatever it is. And she's like, that's, that's fine, that's great. She looks at the receipt, and she goes, oh. And I'm, you, ugh. Already I'm like, oh, what? what what's wrong? What? She goes, we have a 30-day return exchange policy. I'm like, oh. How, how far am I from that day? She goes, it was yesterday. Okay, all right, listen, my fault, my bad, I get it. Um, I should have returned it. It's only a day after. I don't want money back, okay? In fact, I want to give you more money uh, by just exchanging it for another one. Do you think we can make an exception? What do you think she said? No. Okay, all right. Um, I know where this is going, so let's just skip right ahead. Can you please go get your manager so I can talk to them? She's like, sure. So she goes in back, and out comes the manager. Now, there's not a lot of things that really frustrate me in life, <laughs> but one of them is when you ask for a manager and a 16-year-old kid comes out. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> if, you were, if you're a manager, all right, 16-year-old at Best Buy, I love you, bless you in the name of the Father, Son, all right, but for all I know, he's in the back eating pizza, drinking Mountain Dew, right? I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be good, this is not... He comes up, how can I help you? Listen, sir, it's my fault, it's my bad. I goofed, I'm a dummy, my wife will tell you that. Okay, but I just wanna exchange this and actually pay you, your company, more money <laughs> to get a bigger one. And he looks at the receipt and he's like, oh, I wish I could help you, but I can't. <clears throat> Listen. You're telling me if I call up corporate offices today and I talk to your boss that they're going to tell me the same thing? And he goes, I don't know. Now, I know some of you would have walked away at this point, but I'm mad now. I am feeling it. The blood is boiling. I'm like, I don't even care about this stupid pad anymore. It's the principle, right? The principle is at stake here. So I go to the side, and for a half hour, I get on the phone <laughs> with Best Buy Corporate, right? And I'm going up the chain, all up the chain of command until I get to someone who tells me, sir, listen, we've empowered all of our managers to do whatever it takes to make the customer, right? I was like, yeah, all right, I got him. I knew it. I walked back all cocky, like, Hey, buddy, um, <clears throat> I hate to interrupt you from your pizza back there, but uh, talk to corporate, and they told me that you're actually authorized to do whatever it takes to make me happy. And you know what he says? <laughs> they didn't tell me that. <clears throat> I said, man, do you want me to stand outside of your store and tell everyone that walks in here not to shop here? And he says, I can't tell you what to do. Now, I'm fuming. The anger is boiling at this time, okay? I am, now listen, I'm a pastor, so I'm holding it down as much as I can, right? But finally, it just gave way. I turned around, I faced the whole store of Best Buy, not lying, and in the loudest voice that I could project, <laughs> and I'm a preacher, man, I yell, I wouldn't ever shop at Best Buy. They're only gonna stick it to you. <laughs> Not lying, man. Now maybe, 
Maybe you think it would have dawned on me like, I should leave now. Oh, no. No. I go sit out in the front of the store, and every customer that comes in, I go, you shouldn't shop here. I wouldn't. They just stuck it to me, man. (laughs) I'm telling you. I know. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Finally, the security guard comes up and says, sir, we've called the cops. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or just wisdom, but I said, I need to leave now. (laughs) Have you ever been angry before? (laughs) I want to talk to you today about angry. I want to talk to you and show you an obscure verse that we find in the scriptures about a Jesus that acts differently than sometimes we think. And hopefully it's going to maybe obliterate that Clairol, blue sash, flannel graph, Jesus that some of us grew up with. Because this is the Jesus that I love. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. And we're going to read in chapter 3. It's our text today. Here's what it starts out with. Now, just to give you a little context, Jesus is the main character in here. And the other people in the plot are just the people in Israel, in in Jerusalem, and, excuse me, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and they're in a place called the synagogue, which would be comparative to what we call church today. It's where they gathered on a regular basis to read the text and to study it, and rabbis would give their interpretation of it. And this is where our story begins. Again, he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue, and get this, a man was there with a withered hand. Would you say that's a handicap? Would you say that he's probably suffered with that? Yes. And they, being the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might what? Accuse him. Now, central to any Jewish life back then was something called the Torah. Everyone say Torah. Torah was the first five books of the Bible, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You're like, wait, what is it? Deuteronomy, right? Now, every good rabbi understood the Torah very well. In fact, there were 613 commandments given in the Torah. 613 do's and don'ts. And every good rabbi knew every single one of those commandments and was able to teach on them. And that teaching, his interpretation of those commandments was called a rabbi's yoke. Jesus one time in the Bible says, my yoke is easy. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. You should check him out sometime. But every so often, you could imagine 613 commandments, every so often there would be some contradictions, wouldn't there? And in Jesus' day, there were eight contradictions that were talked about a lot. In fact, they called it the eight great debates. And we don't have time to go into it, but what a rabbi would do is he would study those commandments and he would interpret those uh, contradictions and he'd give his interpretation of those what you should do. And the example in this story is there's a commandment, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? And, and you see even today, Jewish people that practice will, will, will practice this in all kinds of ways, some very strict. You can't answer the phone. You can't drive a car. Like you can't do any work on the Sabbath. It's a holy day. But then there was another commandment that said at all costs, you should pre- uh, preserve life. And so the question was, if you're walking on the Sabbath and you see your neighbor's donkey fall in a pit, what do you do? If you go in and rescue it, you 
break the Sabbath. If you walk on past it, then you let the donkey die. You don't preserve its life. So here, the Pharisees are watching Jesus. Why? Because they want to know what he's going to do. Either way, he's going to break one of the commandments. And what's interesting is in the centerpiece of this whole story is a man with a withered hand. And check this out. Verse three. And he said to the man, Jesus, with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And then it says this, but they were silent. All they cared about was the topic at hand. All they cared about was what Jesus was going to do. They didn't even see that in the middle of everything was a man with a brokenness, with a withered hand. And Jesus sees this. I love it. I love Jesus so much. He just breaks and shatters all the norms, doesn't he? Because this is what it says next. And he looked around at them with what? Anger. With what? Come on, say it like you know it. With anger. I want to talk to you this morning about a Jesus that gets angry. What's interesting about this word, it's a Greek word. It's pronounced orge. Everyone say orge. Now, there were lots of Greek words for anger. This was a different word that he used here. Aristotle, he, the great Aristotle, once described this word, orge, as this, a desire mixed with grief. Now, what makes this word also interesting is it's in the aorist tense, which tells us this. It's not a, a low, boiling anger that just explodes, right? This isn't a, I just stubbed my toe on the coffee table, and all right? Which, by the way, two weeks now, I have stubbed my toe four times. I don't know if there's a demon of stubbed toes or what, but I need help. My poor toes aren't going to survive. Okay. It's not that kind of anger, okay? It's not, I'm on C-470 traffic, okay? It's not that kind of anger. It's this low, inside your soul, seeing something is out of focus here, something isn't right, and something should be done here. Something has to be done. It's an anger that Jesus feels full on. Now, if Jesus gets angry, then the other question we must ask is, does God get angry? <laughs> I want to show you this text. It's found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Amos. It's one of our minor prophets. And God is speaking to someone. And who's he speaking to? He's going to be speaking to his people, to his chosen people. The ones he rescued, right, from slavery. The one that he's countlessly over and over again reached out and said, I love you, I love you, and will one day send his own son to die for him. This is the poetic verse that he gives the people that he loves. Are you ready for this? Amos chapter three, sorry, chapter five, he says this. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. 
I will not listen. Is God a little angry here, right? This isn't a love song. This is more like a rage against the machine song, right? Some of you will get that. (laughs) God's cranked up about something. What could possibly get God so angry over the people that he loves? He tells us all throughout Amos. And in the very next verse, this is what he says. Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. In chapter eight, he goes on to say, listen to this, you who walk all over the weak, you who treat poor people as less than nothing, who give little and take much and never do an honest day's work. You exploit the poor using them. And then when you're, they're used up, you discard them. What does God get angry at? God gets angry at injustices. at at the idea of his people ignoring the poor, of cheating others, of seeing the hurting and, and people ignoring that and God gets angry. Now I know the narrative because I hear it just as much as you as a pastor. Our culture is always saying, well, why, why is God so angry all the time? Why has he got to be such, you know, he's that old grumpy man, get off my lawn, right? We hear this narrative all the time. Church, can I ask you a question, though? Which is worse, a God who sees injustices and gets angry or a God who sees injustices and doesn't get angry? Church, I want to serve a God who sees the brokenness and the hurting, and the needy, and the cheating, and the injustices, and says, I can't stand it anymore. Something has to be done. I want to serve a God who has that kind of heart. Anger's a funny thing, isn't it? I remember sitting in my car outside of Best Buy, and I called up my wife, I told her everything, and she's like, you did what? (laughs) I'm like, I know. I don't know where it came from. It was like the Hulk or something. (laughs) I remember taking an inventory of myself and and even sitting in the car, my my heart was racing, man. I was sweating. My hands were literally shaking from the intensity. Anger is this this nuclear thing, isn't it? It's like this nuclear reaction inside of us that just builds upon each other until finally something happens, right? Have you ever been angry and did something and then later was like, ooh, what did I do? No, oh, this is the holy service? Okay, all right. No, we just sing kumbaya and pray, Jake, that's all. Have you ever been angry and said something that later you're like, what was I thinking? Have you ever been angry and broken something? Yeah. The question that we have to look at with this story with Jesus is Jesus gets angry, but what does he do with that anger? Huh. Let's check it out. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
put yourself in that scene. Everyone's watching him. Everyone's mind is on how Jesus, how is he gonna react to this? What's he gonna do? What's the theology behind this? Is he gonna do this or not do this? Is he gonna break the law? Everyone's watching him, and who's Jesus watching? The broken man. And his anger, his anger leads to wholeness. Jesus' anger leads to healing. Jesus' anger leads to justice, to restoration. Which makes me think this. Maybe anger isn't really the problem, but maybe what we do with that anger. Because in my situation, a lot of times, my anger I arrive at it and I act out on it a certain way. Jesus gets angry and his anger leads to something totally different, to grace and love and healing. And what's crazy, church, is you find this beautiful anger echo all throughout the scriptures. Great men and women of God that have felt this beautiful anger rise up inside them. But instead of lashing out, it leads to something more. The Apostle Paul. Everyone knows the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, who, who if we put a, an apostle on a pedestal, it would be the Apostle Paul. He wrote half the New Testament, right? He, he started most of the churches outside of uh, Israel at the time. Does Paul have this kind of puppy dog, lovey-dovey all the time kind of life? No. He too gets this beautiful anger. And I want to show you this. If you got your Bibles, the book of Galatians. Now, to give you a little context of this, at the time, Paul is going around to churches and he's sharing the good news of Jesus. He's saying, listen, you got to understand, there's this Jesus, and he's changed everything. And he's, he's teaching Jewish and non-Jewish, and he's bringing them in, and they're going, yes, 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 I love this. And then he'd move on to the next church and do the same thing. But there was a problem. There was a group of people that were following behind Paul that would come into the church and go, hey, everything Paul was telling you, Right on, it's spot on, Jesus is the way. You're just missing one thing. Men, you need to be circumcised, right? You need to have a special surgery to follow Jesus. Men, how'd you like to be in that church meeting? <laughs> I need to do what? I'm out of here, okay, I don't care. So you, you need to have a surgical procedure. And Paul gets wind of this. And he's not like, oh, all right, that's cool, whatever. Paul responds and he writes this letter to the church of Galatia. And he, and he talks about this issue of circumcision. Check out what he says. He says, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the actual truth? This persuasion, right, from this group of people is not from him who calls you. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Next verse. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying, listen, if we're to actually practice this circumcision thing, then everything Jesus did on the cross was for nothing. Don't you see that? And then he says this. I wish those, 
those people who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa, Paul. <laughs> Back up, Turbo. <laughs> right? I mean, he, is Paul cranked up about something? Yeah. He's like, who, who, who stopped you? Who got in the way? This group that's coming in and telling you need, you need to circumcise yourself? Man, I wish they would just go all the way and cut it all off. <laughs> it's in the Bible, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> Question. What does Paul do with this beautiful anger? Does he flip over tables? Does he yell and scream? Does he yell at Best Buy at the top of his lungs? <laughs> no. It leads to something more. It leads to his calling. Check this out. Galatians 5, 7, 5, 1, and 13. This is littered all throughout the book of Galatians. For what? Freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to what? Freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. He's like, don't you get it? This anger inside him builds towards something, but it's unleashed in a direction, and it's his message. It's his calling. It, it just makes him pursue it more. Guys, it's about freedom. It's not about slavery. Jesus, you don't have to fulfill the 613 commandments because Jesus did that for you. You don't need to circumcise yourself because it's about freedom. And his anger pushes him into his calling. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. If you get anything this morning, write this down. Listen to this. Anger channeled in the right direction can sometimes reveal your calling. Let's talk about calling. Everyone in this room today has a calling. I'm not talking about vocation, okay? Vocation's separate from that. Sometimes some of us you know, have uh, an incredible, you know, gift of our, our calling being a part of our vocation. But for most of us, our calling is separate. Your calling is what God has wired you to do. Here in this life, you have a purpose, you have a reason. God made you specifically for that. And that anger, sometimes when we, when we talk about calling in the church, we say, well, what are you passionate about? You know, what do you love? What are you good at? Which are all great things. But maybe one of the things that we should start asking ourselves is what makes you angry? What gets down inside of you when you see it, when you hear it, when you know something's happening that you say, this can't stay this way. Maybe God is revealing to you your calling or part of it. Kevin and Don, good friends of ours, good friends to Jubilee, gave birth to two boys, both mentally handicapped, both terminally ill. Don had to, the moment they were born, the moment they were born, their lives changed forever. Don had to be a full-time caregiver. Dad had to, to go to work more to supply for this. They became less social because all of their care had to go into the boys. They, they, they were less connected and more invested in this. There was lots more work. Eventually, their two boys passed away. 
And Don and Kevin could have easily just walked away and just said, hey, what an experience. We're moving on. But something inside of them said, something's not right. God gave us a piece here. I want to change something. And they saw how hard it was for caregivers. So you know what they did instead of just moving on with their life? They started Caregiver's Wish. Or they said, you know, just like make a wish, they said, we want to we do something special for the caregivers of those with special needs because they need love too. Because what we experienced and what we saw wasn't right. Someone should do something about it. And to that I say, yeah. Two graphic designers I know downtown, they do free graphic design for new churches and new church plants. And I asked them, I said, why do you guys do this for free? You know what they told me? They said, because church art sucks. <laughs> no, I was like, okay. They took this anger, this thing that they saw, and they said, I need to do, I can do something about it. Because anger, sometimes channeled in the right way, can actually reveal your calling. So I'm going to try a little experiment with you this morning. I want to try and tick you off. Is that okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to show you some statistics. And listen, I could have pulled a thousand statistics out, okay? Because there are all kinds of needs in our world. Me and you both know this. But I want to just highlight some, and I want you to sit in it. And I want to just beg you, don't pass over it, but register what God and the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you. Maybe something stirring inside of you with, with one of these that you go, man, that's not right. And you think, oh, well, everyone thinks this. No, maybe you're wired a specific way for you to do something about it. So let's look at some of these. 2.6 billion people lack basic sanitation facilities. That's 40% of the world population. Does that make you angry? Does that make you say someone should do something about it? How about this one? Nine out of 10 people in Colorado are bad drivers. <clears throat> All right, I just made that up, okay? <laughs> but you know it's true, right? None of you guys, right? We're all good. <laughs> just wanna see if you're awake, okay? <laughs> Here we go. One billion people in the world use unsafe drinking water. Does that make you angry? Next one. Last year, over 921 teenagers in Denver were found homeless. 921 teens don't have a home. Someone should do something about that. Is it you? Next. Over 114 million children in the world don't get a basic education. Does someone in this room say, that's not right. I need to do something. Over 584 million women in the world are considered illiterate. An average of about 22 veterans commit suicide every day. Did you know that? 22 every day. Does something rattle inside of your soul when you hear that? 800 million people go to bed hungry every night. 100 million of them are children. The basic necessity of life some people, a large majority, don't have it. Does that make you angry? A conservative 27 million people are slaves today. 
Say, I, I thought that we were done with that. No, it's bigger than it ever has been in the history of the world. Does that make you want to do something? Over 17,000 people are trafficked into the U.S. each year for sex trafficking. Listen to this. This year in Denver, already 110 cases have been reported. This isn't happening just outside of us. It's happening in our neighborhoods, church. We're seeing this. Does that make you upset? Does something inside your soul go, that's not right? In 2016, we lost over 45,000 people to, to suicide. That was more than any car accident deaths for that year. Does that make you angry? Each year, more than 200 foster kids in Colorado exit the system without a home. 200. If the churches got together, we could collectively fix that. There's something inside of you. You go, man, I need to do something. Say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but maybe God's calling you to do something. One in four children under the age of 18 are being raised without a father. That's 17.2 million people without a father figure in their life. One third of single mothers in the U.S. spend more than 50% of their income on housing. 45% of them use food stamps despite working full time. Maybe you are a working single mom here and you know the struggle. You know it's real. Maybe you know a working, maybe they're your neighbor. Something needs to be done. 38% of people in Denver say they've never attended a church before. Can you believe that? 38% of people in our own city say they've never even walked into a church before. Only one in 11 teenagers consider themselves an engaged Christian. One in 11. Listen to this. 13% consider themselves to be an atheist nowadays compared to 6% for us. You want to know where the next generation's going? You can see the trend right there. Does that make you angry? Does something inside of you leave, leave you unsettled saying, I need to do something? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's helping out with the youth ministry. Maybe it's connecting with a neighbor down the street. I don't know what it is. But sometimes that anger can lead and channeled in the right direction can lead to your calling. Church, we live in a culture and a day and age that people get angry at the stupidest things, right? We get angry at the things that don't matter and we don't get angry at the things that do matter. Maybe it's better to say it in this way. Some of us today are looking for a fight because we're not already in one. And we live with this edge, with this, with this moment of explosion right on our lives because we're not in a cause and a fight worthy of fighting. What makes you angry, church? A couple months ago, I'm watching a 24-hour news feed and they give this survey. They said, interviewed thousands of people, and the first question they asked was, what's the first thing that you think of when you think of church? Do you know what the number one answer was, church? Number one answer, far and beyond, was this. 
hates homosexuals. And that ticks me off. Because that's not the Jesus I know. That's not the Jesus I experience. And I want to spend the rest of my life changing that narrative. In the book, The Enigma of Anger, Garrett uh, Kaiser, he writes this. He says, Jesus, his is the zeal of an ego identified with something larger than itself. He's not incensed over some personal insult, but by a communal sacrilege, by a wrong. What are you angry about, church? Tony Campolo one of my favorite preachers back in the 80s and 90s, he tells the story of one time in ministry. He was traveling to Honolulu. And he was up one night after doing some ministry and he couldn't go to bed. And so at three in the morning, he gets up and he goes down to the local diner. And he sits down at the diner and, and he orders a cup of coffee and some eggs and stuff. And, and he starts talking with the owner of the diner and they get to know each other. And while they're kind of talking, chit-chatting, two girls walk in. And, and when you see the two girls walk in, he says, you know by their appearance alone what they do. Two prostitutes walk in and sit down next to Tony. And they're talking back and forth. And, and one of the younger one tells the other one, just in casual talk, tomorrow's my birthday. And the other one quickly retorts, well, what does that matter? What, what do you want me to do? And she responded and said, nothing. I've never had a birthday party anyways. Why should it start now? And they ate their meal. But when Tony heard that, something inside of him burned. A beautiful anger, an orge, began to rattle inside of him. This isn't right. Someone should do something. As small as it may seem, someone should step in and do something. And so when the two girls left, Tony asked the owner, who are those two girls? And he said, they come in here every night at 3.30 a.m. exactly. And he said, did you hear that one girl? She said she's never had a birthday party in her life. And he said, what if we planned a birthday party for her? And the owner said, I like your thinking here. And other diners uh, kind of chimed in and said, I, I, I could do something too. I'll bring the streamers and I'll bring the balloons. And, 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 and Tony said, I'll, I'll make the cake. I'll do the cake. And, and, and you make the sign. And everyone was excited. And the next day, three in the morning, they all show up with all their stuff, all ready. And they're all waiting for these two girls to walk in. And 3.30 a.m. on the dot, two girls walk in. Surprise! Happy birthday! She instantly breaks down crying. She can't contain it. And everyone's cheering and clapping. And they go, let me cut you a piece of cake. And she goes, hold on. Can you not cut any cake yet? Tony said, why? And he said, I want to take this home real quick and show my mom. I've never had a birthday before, and I want to show my mom this. She's never seen this. Tony said, yeah. So she takes it, and she heads out the door, and everyone's kind of sitting in this awkward silence, like, what do we do now? And Tony, being the preacher, says, well, why don't we pray? 
says, okay, everyone agrees to it. And Tony begins to pray for this young lady. Says, God, we love you. And we pray that this woman would know your love. Tell her she's loved. In Jesus' name, amen. And the owner looked at Tony and said, I didn't know you were a pastor. <laughs> said, what kind of church do you pastor? And Tony said, the kind that plans birthday parties at 3.30 in the morning for prostitutes. <laughs> and the owner looked at him and he says, no, you don't. Because if there was a church like that, I would go to it. Church, what if everyone in this room decided to walk out of here with a little bit of anger, with a little bit of beautiful anger, and ask the question, God, what are you calling me to, big or small? What is it you're calling me to? Imagine the effect that we would have in this city if just us walked out of here with that kind of anger. There's a lot of things in this world, church, that need help. There's a lot of people that need help. My question to you is, what are you going to spend your energy on? Don't waste it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying and do something about it. Let's pray. Father, in this holy moment, we just pause, we reflect. What are you saying to us, God? What do I need to do from here, Father? What are some steps for me to walk out of here and to do? God, we don't come here and gather here just to hear nice talks that tickle our ears. God, we wanna know how to be more like your son, Jesus. We wanna turn the world upside down, God, for you. So I pray this prayer today. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. For those feeling that calling, maybe it's brand new this morning. Maybe it's a reminder for others. Maybe, God, maybe it's an old dream that is now being awakened or it's a new season of life that you're calling people into. I pray you'd empower them and resource them, God, so that we can turn the world upside down for you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jake.